You are listening to Radio I, your source for printed news and information. This service is intended for listeners who are blind, visually impaired, or have other disabilities that prevent them from reading. All materials are read as written and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Radio I. For further information about this service, please call 859-422-6390 or visit our website at www.radioi.org. That's www.radioeye.org. Hello and welcome to the reading of the news from today's edition of the Louisville Courier-Journal. For Sunday, February 26th, 2023. Your reader today is Bill Sally. As a reminder, Radio Eye is a reading service intended for those who are blind or who have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. We'll begin today's reading by first reviewing the weather forecast from the 11 First Alert Storm Team on your side. Weather Team. They are Ben Pine, Colleen Peterson, Sam Gabrielli, Alden German, Christina San Juan, Reed Yaden, and Matt Rudkin. In the local forecast, it'll be mostly cloudy today with a shower in places. It'll be overcast with a little rain this evening, followed by a shower in spots late. Winds are becoming stronger tomorrow, cloudy with a couple of showers and a heavy thunderstorm. Storms can bring flash flooding and damaging winds. On Tuesday, it'll be mostly sunny. For Wednesday, expect increasing cloudiness and breezy in the afternoon. Today, expect a high of 60 degrees. It'll be cloudy with a shower. Tonight, the low will be 52, under cloudy skies with a little more rain. Tomorrow, Monday, expect showers and heavy thunderstorms. The high is forecast to be 71 and the low 49. On Tuesday, it'll be mostly sunny and very pleasant. The high will be around 60 degrees and the low around 48 degrees. On Wednesday, it'll be increasing clouds and warm, still 71 for a high and 48 for a low in the forecast. On Thursday, it'll be cooler with a little rain. The high is forecast to be 61 degrees and the low 41 degrees. And on Friday, it'll be cooler still with a little more rain possible. Expect a high of 51 degrees and a low of 34 degrees. In the almanac of weather conditions in Louisville through 4 p.m. Saturday, the high temperature was 55 degrees. The low was 38 degrees. The normal high is 51 degrees and the normal low 33 degrees. The record high temperature of 77 degrees was set in the year 2000. The record low of 0 degrees was set in 1967. In precipitation in the past 24 hours through 4 p.m. yesterday, there was a trace recorded. That puts our month-to-date precipitation at 2.61 inches. Our normal month-to-date precipitation is 2.99 inches. Our year-to-date precipitation is 7.97 inches. Our normal year-to-date precipitation, only 6.38 inches. In the snowfall accounts, through 24 hours, as of 4 p.m. yesterday, there was zero inches recorded. That leaves our month-to-date snowfall at a trace. Our normal month-to-date snowfall is 3.7 inches. Our season-to-date snowfall is 5.9 inches, where our normal season-to-date snowfall 
is 10.8 inches. In air quality yesterday, it was at good levels. Today is forecast to be at moderate levels. In the sun and moon cycles, sunrise today was at 7.20 a.m. Sunset will be at 6.33 p.m. Moonrise will be at 10.54 a.m. Moonset at 12.57 a.m. Tomorrow, Monday, expect sunrise at 7.18 a.m. Sunset will be at 6.34 p.m. Moonrise will be at 11.31 a.m. and moonset at 2.01 a.m. The next first half moon will be visible in a couple of days on the 27th. The next full moon on March 7th. The last half moon will be visible on March 14th. And the next new moon on March 21st. And finally, in weathered history. A dam in Buffalo Creek, West Virginia gave way on February 26, 1972, after rain and melting snow increased the water level. That dam failure killed 125 people. Today's first article is entitled, Free Calls at Jail, But at What Cost? Ethical Privacy Issues After City Selects Highest Bidder for New Telephone System. This article is written by Jonathan Bullington of the Louisville Courier-Journal, and this is the front-page headline story, one of two, in today's edition. After about two years of trying, Louisville is poised to join a handful of cities and states that have made phone calls free for people who are incarcerated and their families. The city's recently finalized new deal with Smart Communications Holding, Inc., officially ends the expensive practice of receiving a collect phone call from someone locked up inside Louisville's jail, a system long criticized for hindering vital communications between families, while pumping hundreds of thousands of dollars each year into city coffers. But while praising the switch to free phone calls, some local and national advocates question why the city chose Smart Communications, which submitted the most expensive bid for four telecom providers vying for the lucrative contract. Bid documents obtained by the Courier-Journal through an open records request list the Florida-based company's winning bid at $444,000 a year, more than twice as much as the next highest scored bidder, Inmate Calling Solutions, LLC. There's something amiss with Louisville's procurement process, said Bianca Tylek, Executive Director of Worth Rises, a national nonprofit that advocates for people who are incarcerated and their families. I don't think it's clear on its face what it is, but whatever it is, there's somebody winning and there are a lot of families that are going to lose. Louisville Metro Department of Corrections Director Jerry Collins said the city requested and received a revised price tag from Smart Communications that dropped the cost to $300,000 still significantly higher than the $180,000 bid from Inmate Calling Solutions. The totality of smart communication services and their potential to improve the mental health of people in jail took priority in the evaluation, he said. The Caribbean training cruise was not a factor, he stressed, and the city's agreement with the company specifically forbids any LMDC staff from attending the cruise. 
Nobody is doing that, Collins said, adding that any training will be done on-site or virtually. Smart Communication CEO John Logan said he sees nothing wrong with offering the cruise, and the agencies that choose not to take part are likely shying away from public critics whom he invited to join him on the ship. I look at it and say it's a great venue, a great opportunity to learn, and a great opportunity to network, he said. I don't see anything wrong with that. Concerns over Smart Communications' proposal mirror similar debates playing out in prisons and jails across the country. Corrections leaders embrace technology to reduce potentially deadly contraband in the face of overcrowding and shrinking staff. Opponents claim that technology is unnecessarily obtrusive and dehumanizing to people behind bars and their families. Next, COVID closures spark push to end phones fee. The billion-dollar corrections phone industry has faced years of pushback for imposing what some argue are predatory fees on their families, many of whom were living close to poverty before their loved ones were incarcerated. Jails in most of the country, including Kentucky, charge about $3 on average for a 15-minute call, according to a report last year from the nonprofit Prison Policy Initiative. In Louisville, Calls from the jail to a cell phone can be as high as $9.99 for 15 minutes. Telecom providers and corrections leaders say those fees are necessary to cover advanced features like voice recognition, call forwarding detection, call recording, and storage. Opponents argue the fees limit a family's ability to stay connected with their imprisoned loved ones, and those connections have been shown in studies to reduce recidivism and blunt the trauma inflicted on children when a parent is incarcerated. In December 2020, as the city's jail closed visitors because of the COVID-19 pandemic, organizers with Louisville Family Justice Advocates began pushing Metro Council to end phone fees. It's a mental health issue and a family health issue, said Judy Jennings, a board member with Louisville Family Justice Advocates. We know strong family ties help people re-enter society after they get out of jail, and it's better for children. Those efforts struggled to gain traction as the jail plunged into crisis, rocked by a string of in-custody deaths and the eventual departure of its leadership team. Last summer, under Collins' direction, the city issued a new request for proposals for free phone calls, and much more. I was seeking to enhance the technology to go into more robust video visits, Collins said. Tablets for inmates to improve mental health, electronic monitoring to get away from paper monitoring, and make it safer for inmates. Enter Smart Communications. Next, a $21,000 annual Caribbean cruise. Founded in 2009, Smart Communications started out designing an email system for jails, said Logan, the CEO. There needed to be a better way for inmates to have communications with friends and family, he said. There was either an expensive phone call or basically, you write a letter in the mail. The company expanded its suite of products to include video visits, phone calls, electronic monitoring, and tracking of prison and jail populations and tablets loaded with education and entertainment content. 
In a little over a decade, it expanded to more than 100 prisons and jails in 20-plus states, according to its website. That growth has not been without controversy. Last fall, the appeal reported that sheriff's offices in four states, Nevada, Virginia, Texas, and Georgia, were offered rooms on Smart Communications' annual training cruise to the Caribbean. In Nevada, the news outlet reported, one competing telecom provider wrote county officials to contest the cruise as a, quote, gratuity. Part of Smart Communications' bid to Louisville includes the offer of three complimentary rooms and up to six registration tickets for, quote, county staff to attend the company's, quote, annual technology training summit cruise, valued at more than $21,000 a year. This exclusive invitation-only event sails out of Tampa Bay to the Caribbean each year and includes accredited workshops and training classes, the proposal reads, as well as tours of the company's headquarters and its prison mail processing center. Calling the cruise offer a, quote, black eye, Collins said he and his staff quickly saw the negative public perception and included in the city's contract a stipulation that any training be done either at the jail or virtually. Still, Logan defended the cruise, saying it was no different than the corrections and law enforcement associations that hold annual conferences at hotels and resorts across the country. You want to put these in venues that are attractive, he said. I don't want to say come over to Uncle Bob's house. We're going to grill up some hot dogs and you guys come learn about technology. Next, scanning postal mail. Another of Smart Communications services that has drawn local and national scrutiny is called MailGuard. Essentially, any piece of postal mail, excluding legal mail, sent to an incarcerated person goes to the company's processing facility in Florida. There, the mail is scanned and sent electronically to jail staff to review. If approved, the digital mail is sent to the recipient's tablet or to a kiosk for viewing. I can't tell you it's going to eliminate all drugs in the facility, but I can tell you it's going to eliminate one of the major conduits of drugs getting into the facility, Logan said. So I can sleep very well at night knowing we are saving lives all over the country. Studies on the sources of contraband are limited, but some states that have banned physical mail showed no corresponding decreases in the availability of drugs behind bars or in reported overdoses, according to a recent Human Rights Watch report. Advocates like Tylek say the practice of scanning postal mail fails to recognize the humanity of people behind bars. Receiving a birthday card from your mother, from your husband, your child, that they held in their hands themselves, that you can see the imprint of ink, the picture your child drew. Having that closeness is so important to a person's mental health. And that cannot be recreated in a digital scan, she said. It can also have a chilling effect on the senders, she added, who fear their letters or photographs are being stored by authorities and used for surveillance. Louisville's jail started copying postal mail last spring. Attorney mail is not copied, but is verified with the attorney before being delivered. The State Department of Corrections uses a similar system. Since 2019, Collins said Louisville jail staff have intercepted more than 700 pieces of mail containing drugs. Sucks of bone strips or pieces of paper soaked in heroin, fentanyl or methamphetamine. 
Since copying mail began, that number has dropped to nearly zero. I have to weigh the safety of the folks that are incarcerated here, which is a huge weight on my shoulders, Collins said. Obviously, there are things lost, but at the end of the day, my ultimate goal is the safety of the facility. Next, surveillance reaches beyond jail walls. Fears over privacy and surveillance extend to another of Smart Communications' proposed services in Louisville. The company's pitch includes access to an electronic messaging system, akin to email. People in jail would be given two free messages each week, donated by the company. Any other messages cost 50 cents each. Internal messages from staff or confidential attorney messages and attached legal documents are free under the proposal. The messaging system scours the text of non-attorney messages and notifies jail staff when keywords or names are found. The word blunt is highlighted in a sample message included in the company's bid documents. It also, quote, collects statistics, data, and information on public users in the community that are in communication with inmates at your agency. The smart communications pitch reads, information includes connected inmates, phone numbers, IP addresses, email addresses, credit card and bank information, GPS locations, devices used, and more. In 2018, the New York Times reported on how a Missouri County Sheriff used Secrets to track people's locations via their cell phones, all without a court order. Two years later, the Federal Communications Commission proposed more than $200 million in fines against four major wireless carriers for selling customer location information without consent to Securus. Whether smart communications messaging service violates privacy protections depends on the data it's collecting, how it's being used, and whether the public is able to give consent, said Corey Shapiro, legal director with the ACLU of Kentucky. Generally, any time the government is getting data about an individual without consent and without a warrant, it's going to be troubling, he said. Logan said people who use smart communications messaging system must first acknowledge that their messages are not private and that their data will be collected and shared with law enforcement. He also pushed back against critics for what he called negative framing of the issue. The other side of that is we're keeping the community safe, he said, because guess what? The same drug dealers and murderers and hitmen and gangsters who are planning negative bad things in the community, we're also taking their information and we're providing it to law enforcement to enforce the laws in your community. For his part, Collins tried to assuage those privacy fears. The jail has no plans to access people's credit card or bank account information, he said. We don't need access to that. We don't want access to that. We won't have access. A lot of companies have a lot of things available, he added. Anything that's questionable will run through the county attorney. The next article is entitled, Business Incubators, Growth in Louisville Shedding Inequities, Efforts Creating a Rise in Black-Owned Businesses. This article is written by Matthew Glowicki of the Louisville Courier-Journal, and this is our other front-page article in today's edition. A slew of programs founded in the wake 
of 2020's social justice protests focused on growing black and minority-owned businesses have been graduating class after class of entrepreneurs. Louisville saw concerted efforts to establish minority-focused incubator programs following protests over killings of black Americans by police that prompted the examination of inequities across society. These business incubators and accelerators are pushing back against historical and present inequities, such as the racial wealth gap, in which the national median net worth of white families is nearly eight times that of black families, according to the Federal Reserve. They strive to foster, support, and grow businesses through education, access to resources, and networking. While black residents make up nearly a quarter of the Jefferson County population, only 3% of businesses are black-owned, according to U.S. Census survey data. That disparity is mirrored nationally, with only 2.3% of businesses with more than one employee being black-owned, despite the country's black population standing at about 14%, according to statistics from the U.S. Census Bureau. Financial support of these minority-focused business incubators, too, has grown, with city government and big corporate names chipping in to help. Below, meet some recent incubator and accelerator graduates from a few of the minority-focused programs in Louisville. First, Amped's Russell Tech Business Incubator. Started in 2021, this incubator from Amped is dedicated to helping black and Latinx entrepreneurs succeed. The year-long incubator includes access to coaching, stipends, seed capital, and development classes, and participants enrolling in various certificate classes on topics from marketing to accounting to entrepreneurship. The Incubator's Technology Service Center at 1219 West Jefferson Street also offers wraparound services to its participants. 34 businesses were selected for more than 100 applicants for the 2023 cohort, Amped's third. Next, Graduate Spotlight. Sasoya Johnson, owner of Koi Wine Collection. Unable to go to wine tastings during the early part of the pandemic, Louisville native Sasoya Johnson started using social media to talk about her wine purchases. Encouraged by a growing following on social media, Johnson would send out surveys, asking what her audience wanted to learn and see. I'm not an expert, she said. I just enjoy wine and enjoy encouraging people about wine. My passion is to teach, inspire, and make people feel good. Around the same time, Kentucky-based and black-owned Legacy Wine and Spirits approached Johnson with an opportunity to spearhead a new wine brand, she said. Working in the education realm by day, Johnson started her year-long journey with Amped's Russell Tech Business Incubator in 2002 as a way to grow the fledgling brand. The year-long program included weekly meetings, a few hours of coursework each week, and individualized coaching sessions. Johnson said having access to various professionals, such as accountants, helped her get the, quote, back office of her business into shape and help her focus on her goals. Those goals include growing brand recognition and expanding her label onto more store shelves, including sweet red and Moscato wines, with a red blend soon to come. 
The resources just give us a fighting chance, she said of the incubator program. For black and brown people, finances might not have been something that was taught to us at an early age. So being in a program like AMPED will hopefully give you a leg up and change the trajectory of your business. Next, Getty's Just Boss Up Academy. Louisville entrepreneur Tuana Bain founded Global Economic Diversity Development Initiative, or Getty, in 2020 with the aim of closing the racial wealth gap, fostering economic empowerment, and building generational wealth. The nonprofit's business accelerator program, Just Boss Up Academy, focuses on building up black-owned businesses and supporting emerging entrepreneurs. The program graduated 53 business owners in 2022. Through its partnership with Render Capital, Getty awarded $30,000 in microgrants last year to new black businesses. Four cohorts are planned for this year. Applications are accepted year-round. Next, Graduate Spotlight, Lakeisha Morris, founder of Duches Cakes and Treats. Celebrating cherished moments led Lakeisha Morris to start her business, Duches Cakes and Treats. Inspired by her little girl's upcoming birthday party, Lakeisha Morris wanted to throw the kind of celebration she wasn't able to have growing up in a single-parent household. However, finances being tight meant she needed to bake her daughter's strawberry birthday cake herself. I really knew that part of what I wanted to do was help other kids in the community who couldn't afford a cake, she said. That seed of an idea in 2015 finally sprouted in 2020 when, leveraging a love of baking and past sales, service, and retail management experience, Morris started her business. She soon joined the inaugural class of Just Boss Up Academy, the business accelerator program from Getty. Being able to leave the program with a roadmap for business growth and a plan of how to achieve those goals was a key part of the incubator for Morris. I got so much information from them that solidified the foundation that was already laid, said Morris, who graduated from the program in 2021. The receipt of a $5,000 grant awarded through Getty, Morris was able to buy much-needed equipment, including a second stand mixer. Last year was the first her custom cake business operated at a profit. A brick-and-mortar shop is in her three- to five-year plan, as is greater visibility through cake competition shows. A lot of people want to wait until things are perfect, until they take that first step, she said. Some days you just don't feel 100% equipped, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. Go for it and perfect it as you go. Next, GLI's Power to Prosper Minority Business Accelerator. Greater Louisville, Inc., the Louisville area's Chamber of Commerce, launched its Power to Prosper Minority Business Accelerator in 2021. This eighth-month program, free to participants, aims to propel small to mid-sized minority and woman-owned businesses by helping them develop a long-term growth plan and strengthen finance, marketing, and human resource skills. Participants in the program's inaugural cohort reported an average of 57% revenue growth. The program had 12 graduates in its most recent cohort and is seeking applicants for its third cohort. Founded by the Papa John's Foundation for Building Community and Beam Stuntory. The deadline to apply is 
February 28th. Next, Graduate Spotlight, Trey Reed, owner and founder of Creed Painting. When he was younger, Trey Reed learned to paint while working at his father's small contracting company in Birmingham. After a two-decade career with the U.S. Navy, a move back to his birthplace of Louisville, and some jobs working for others, the pandemic prompted Reed to consider returning to a familiar trade. In the early months of the pandemic, as employers rapidly shed employees, he and his wife discussed how to take more control over their work life. Starting our own business, we just wanted to take our destiny into our own hands, he said. I just went back to what I knew and what my dad had taught me years ago. After starting Creed Painting in the summer of 2021, offering interior and exterior commercial painting, Reed said he applied for GLI's Accelerator Program to help strengthen his newly launched business. We all fear the numbers, the uncertainty, and the unknown, he said. The Accelerator Program helped you dissect those numbers to make sense and make those numbers work for us. The program amplified the visibility of his business, getting his services in front of people who might not otherwise have ever learned about them. It gave me the opportunity to pitch my business to show them what I have to offer, he said. Taking a hard look at one's business isn't always easy, and the extra hours each week dedicated to the accelerator were a commitment, but a worthy one, Reed said. It's a commitment that benefits you, he said. What you put in is what you will definitely get out. This concludes the reading of the articles from the front page of today's edition of the Louisville Courier-Journal. After a short pause, I hope you'll rejoin me for more news from today's Courier-Journal, right here on Radio Eye. This is Tom Lewis, the new Executive Director at Radio Eye. I feel thrilled and blessed to join the Radio Eye team, and I'm so excited to be part of what the future holds for us. And I do mean us. As a listener, you are an integral part of the Radio Eye team. What we do, we do for you. We strive to inform you and hopefully enrich your life in the process. So we sincerely want your input. I'd love to hear from you. If you have programming feedback or ideas, please feel free to email me at tom.lewis at radioi.org or call 859-422-6390. Thanks. We'll continue now with the reading of the news from today's edition of the Louisville Courier-Journal for Sunday, February 26th, 2023. Your reader today is Bill Sally. As a reminder, Radio I is a reading service intended for those who are blind or who have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. We'll begin this half of today's reading by first reviewing today's obituaries and death notices. We read only the name, age, and location if given. Carla Louise Riggs Dawes, 58, Louisville. Lawrence Spaulding Abel, 73, Lebanon. Christine King Adams, 94, Louisville. Mary Jane Armstrong, 84, Shepherdsville. Edward Charles Aubrey, Jr., 76, no location given. Jane Ann Beauchamp, 77, Louisville. Todd Buchanan, that's B-E-A-U 
C-H-E-M-I-N. 50. New Albany, Indiana. Jason Glenn Blake. 47. Belton. Thomas Blanco Bautista. 83. Louisville. Jane C. Brangers. No location given, no age given. Sarah Sally Grove Brink. 85. Louisville. Donald Albert Cheery, 97, Largo, Florida. Bonita Louise Kofelt, 83, Louisville. Kendall Dale Cooper, 59, Jeffersonville. Shannon Denise Cooper, 51, Barberville. Terry L. Corbin, 73, Louisville. Nina Daisy, 75, Louisville. Richard Eugene Darden, 25, Louisville. Walter Bill Deaton, 80, Louisville. Janice M. Dukes, 87, Louisville. Norma Jean White Duncan, 82, Louisville. Dale Marquis Engel, 65, Burlington. Ruby Eubank, 85, Tompkinsville. Bobby Giles, 88, Carrollton. Lewis Clay Big Lou Goines, 72, Frankfurt. Carol Marie Gray, 85, Louisville. Charles W. Green, 72, no location given. Calvin Greer, 64, Elizabethtown. Margaret Duncan Grider, 92, Danville. Haley Rose Marie Guffey, 22, Bardstown. Alvin Sonny Hawkins, Jr., 95, Louisville. Patricia R. Heem, 45, Louisville. Glenn Heitchu, 79, Frankfurt. Susan Ann Hill, 87, Louisville. Robert Dean Horn, Jr., 55, Louisville. Glenn N. Jaworski, 91, Louisville. Coy Allen Johnson, 25, Shepherdsville. Jaquetta Jones, 89, Louisville. Tevis K. Keller, 84, Louisville. Donna Joe Lloyd, 71, Louisville. Orlin W. Luther, 83, Corydon. Tony Marie Martin, 63, New Albany. Bailey Nicole McClanahan, 21, Lebanon. Thomas Tom McCullough, 77, no location given. Robert Bob Neal Miller, 85, Louisville. Fred L. Milne, 77, Cincinnati. Sandra Marie Mullins, 76, Louisville. Ferry Ann Neal, 95, Owensboro. Edward Lehman Newton, 79, Shepherdsville. 
Jonathan Van Dyke Norman III, 85, Louisville. Thomas Hendricks Owen, 80, Louisville. Deborah Sue Parks, 70, Louisville. Roy Pretty, 75, Jeffersonville. Michael Thomas Ramsey, 74, Louisville. Harry Martin Reno, Jr., 70, Louisville. Patricia Lee Ritchie, 65, Louisville. Olga Waugh Rodriguez Donnelly, no age given, no location given. Rhonda Lynn Sanders, 60, Louisville. John Martin Schuler, 77, Louisville. Douglas Allen Schutte, 45, Louisville. Stanley Settle, 82, Owensboro. Ilum Edward Smith, 64, Louisville. Beverly M. Stringer, 78, Louisville. Sally Stoltz, 72, Louisville. Makeshi Sungula, 61, Louisville. Harry Hans Tetzloff, 89, Louisville. Patricia Pat Thompson, 93, no location given. Johan Elizabeth Hannon Towns, 66, Tucker. Jeffrey Bullfrog Van Buren, 72, Cadiz. Marshall Edward Ed Vasey, 77, Louisville. Donald N. Walters, 87, Louisville. Michelle Elizabeth Wilding, 75, Louisville. Robert Bob Lewis Waltz, Sr., 82, Louisville. James Nicky Ziegler, 62, Louisville. If you'd like any more information about any of those appearing in today's obituaries and death notices, there is a location you can receive more information. That is courier-journal.com slash obituaries. Again, that site is courier-journal.com slash obituaries. And now, moving to the Metro page, the next article in today's edition of the Courier-Journal is entitled, Greenberg's Plan, Lipstick on a Pig, Removing Firing Pins, won't stop guns from returning to the street. This article is written by Joseph Girth, columnist with the Louisville Courier-Journal. Mayor Craig Greenberg's plan to remove the firing pins from guns used in crimes and put stickers on them before turning them over to Kentucky State Police to be auctioned is, in a word, underwhelming. It's lipstick on a pig. It does nothing, not a zilch. It simply makes a weak statement, and that statement is that we really can't do anything about guns used in crimes, but stop them from working for a minute, two minutes max. That's a far cry from what he announced in September when he was running for mayor and said he would order the guns be, quote, disabled. It's then that he first oversold what he planned to do when he took office to fight back against Kentucky's stupid and dangerous law that puts cheap guns, the type gangbangers use, 
back on the street. He continued that last week with a media advisory that promised a, quote, significant announcement on confiscated firearms and public safety. Significant? Not really. Not at all. Back in the 1990s, the gun-crazy Kentucky General Assembly, completely out of things they could do to appease the gun-crazy National Rifle Association, came up with a brilliant plan, and by brilliant I mean stupid and dangerous, to put guns used in crimes back on the street. Remember, this is a state that will let you carry a gun into the Capitol, but will stop you in your tracks if you try to go in with an umbrella, yardstick, or plumber's wrench. It's not sane. The law requires most guns used in crimes, after all the trials and appeals are finished, be sold at auction to pay for body armor, weapons, and other gear for police officers. It doesn't matter if a gun was used to kill children or adults or simply carried into a school in some kid's backpack. It doesn't matter if they were expensive guns that could bring the state some coin or cheap ones made by low-end manufacturers like High Point, Lorson, Bryco, and Jimenez that might fetch less than $100 a pop. They all go to the highest bidder. Nobody really tracks the guns to figure out how many times they have been cycled back on the streets by Kentucky's gun traffickers in the General Assembly. They don't mark them with notches on the handle for every life they took, like the gunslingers in the Old West. A Courier-Journal investigation two years ago found 31 guns sold at the bi-monthly state police auctions had made their way back to the Louisville streets and were used in other crimes. It's likely more, given the number of guns used in murders, robberies, and other crimes that are never recovered. Louisville and Lexington have fought the state legislature on these auctions at every turn, and they've lost every time. Greenberg has lost again. In his announcement in the fall, Greenberg said he would do something about it. He would order the guns disabled before they were turned over to the state. Most people thought he would do something permanent, like bore holes in the barrels of the guns, disassemble them, or turn them over to police in boxes, like hundreds of jigsaw puzzles all mixed together or maybe twist the barrels into shapes of knots and double helixes. The details weren't clear. What he finally announced last week was a letdown. He's going to have a gunsmith remove the firing pins from the guns, which will then be attached to the guns when they are sent out to Frankfurt for resale. He'll also put a decal on the guns saying they were used in 146 homicides in Louisville in 2022. A federally licensed firearms dealer will buy the guns at auction, spend less than a minute reinstalling each firing pin, and another few minutes with a rag and some goo removing the decal. The dealer won't even have to shell out 20 or 30 bucks for the firing pin since it will come attached to the gun. Then he or she will put each of the guns on the shelves and sell them to whoever will pay the asking price, which will be much lower than the cost of a new gun and the cycle will start again. It turns out, city lawyers have told Greenberg he can't permanently disable the guns. They aren't his or the city's property. I don't question his desire to do something. He was inches from death just over a year ago when Quintez Brown, whose lawyer said he has mental problems, walked into Greensburg's office and alleged began firing at the then-candidate. Greenberg started from a position of power, given to him when he was a victim. 
But it would have been better if, instead of hyping his plan as a, quote, significant announcement, he would have said, quote, I'm sorry, I spoke too soon in December and made a promise I can't keep, but here's what I'm doing. He also could have said the city is pushing for a bill in Frankfurt to do away with the gun auctions, but admit it's a long shot. The legislature these days is even more gun crazy than the one that originally passed the gun auction bill 25 years ago. It's not Greensburg's fault. The legislator has boxed him in, and every other elected official who doesn't believe they should be in the gun trafficking business. He should have just told us that, instead of trying to convince us that his plan that does nothing to end the cycle of violence will have any effect at all. The next article in today's edition of the Courier-Journal is entitled, No Charges for Former Officer Accused of Coercing Sex. Women said, quote, favors help their cases. This article is written by Lewis Albach of the Louisville Courier-Journal. A former Louisville Metro police officer who resigned nearly two years ago over allegations that he'd helped keep women out of the criminal justice system in exchange for sexual favors will not face criminal charges, the Commonwealth's Attorney's Office has confirmed. The office said Thursday that a Jefferson County grand jury had returned a no-true bill, meaning jurors did not believe enough evidence for an indictment had been presented, for potential sodomy charges to be filed against Brian Bailey, who resigned from LMPD in June 2021 after the department said it planned to investigate potential policy violations alleged by four women. Three of the women filed a civil lawsuit against Bailey the previous year in which they claimed he'd helped them avoid criminal charges or remain confidential informants in exchange for sexual favors between 2016 and 2020. That lawsuit was settled by the city for $1.8 million in December 2022. Claims made in a lawsuit represent only one side of the case. Commonwealth's attorney Thomas Wine's office said the grand jury was following its recommendation in the No True Bill decision, citing a, quote, comprehensive review of Kentucky law and the evidence in the investigation behind the decision. The women in the case engaged in sexual acts with Bailey, quote, in exchange for something in return, the office said, which means the acts were not committed by forcible compulsion, a standard that must be proven beyond a reasonable doubt that says physical force or threat of physical force that would place a person in danger of death or injury was present. Representatives for the Commonwealth's attorney had previously said they did not believe criminal charges outside of sodomy could be filed against Bailey because the one-year statute of limitations had expired before the cases were sent to their office, though a summary of the 2021 internal investigation into his conduct said there was a, quote, strong likelihood allegations against him would have been sustained if he had not resigned and that Bailey had likely broken laws related to prostitution. In June 2021, the same month Bailey resigned, the offense of third-degree sodomy was amended to make it a felony for a peace officer to, quote, subject a person to deviate sexual intercourse under certain circumstances, Wine's office said. However, the release added that amended statute cannot be applied retroactively in Bailey's case. The next article is entitled, Metro Council Has Another Opening. This article is written by Billy Coben of the Louisville Courier-Journal. 
Cassie Chambers Armstrong is heading to Frankfurt after winning Tuesday's special election for now U.S. Representative Morgan McGarvey's state Senate seat. And that means Louisville Metro Council has another open seat. Louisville Metro Council must appoint a new member to represent District 8 within 30 days of the vacancy, per state law. And applicants must be at least 18 years old and must have been residents of the district at least a year. Applicants have until 5 p.m. March 3rd to submit a resume to Metro Council Clerk at louisvilleky.gov. Resumes sent by registered or certified mail to the Metro Council Clerk, 601 West Jefferson Street, 40202, must be postmarked no later than March 3rd and must be received in the clerk's office within four business days after mailing. Metro Council will hold a special meeting March 13th at 4 p.m. to interview the eligible applicants and will vote to appoint the new member at the regularly scheduled council meeting March 16th. The new member will serve until November when special elections will take place for Districts 3, 6, and 8, which have seen vacancies this year. All even-numbered Metro Council districts are also up for election in 2024. Metro Council is once again asking interested candidates to step up and apply, said Council President Marcus Winkler, Democrat from the 17th District. I'm confident we'll have many qualified candidates to choose from, and we're committed to finding the best representative for District 8. Armstrong, a Democrat, who was elected to Metro Council in 2020, defeated Republican Misty Glenn in Tuesday's special election for the state Senate seat, District 19. McGarvey, a Democrat who won the 3rd Congressional District race in November to succeed U.S. Representative John Yarmouth, who retired, had served in the state Senate for a decade. After the state Board of Elections certifies their victory, which usually takes a week, Armstrong will be sworn into the Senate and have a chance to participate in the rest of the 2023 legislative session, which ends in late March. District 8 includes Belknap, Bonnie Castle, Bowman, Cherokee, Seneca, Cherokee Triangle, Deer Park, Gardner Lane, Hawthorne, Hayfield Dundee, Highlands, Highlands Douglas, and Tyler Park, and parts of Bonaire, Cherokee Gardens, Germantown, and Irish Hill. It also includes the home rule cities of Kingsley, Seneca Gardens, Strathmore Manor, and Strathmore Village. Before Armstrong's departure, the 26-member council had 17 Democrats and 9 Republicans. The advisory board for District 8, which is made up of neighborhood associations and organizations such as the Louisville Free Public Library, Highlands Community Ministries, and Highland Commerce Guild, is hosting a forum for any applicants from 7 to 8 p.m. Monday in the community room of the Highlands Shelby Park Library. The library branch is inside Mid-City Mall at 1250 Bardstown Road, Suite 4. The next article is entitled, Kentucky Derby Festival's 2023 Pegasus Pins Drop. Signed, Derby is Coming. This is written by Michael Clevenger of the Louisville Courier-Journal. A temperature swing into the 70s this week was a great reminder that the run for the roses is just around the corner. And just in time, one of the key signs of the Kentucky Derby season has been released. 
The first shipment of the Kentucky Derby Festival's 2023 Pegasus pins arrived Friday at the Evan Williams Bourbon Experience on Main Street, the first location in Louisville to sell this year's stock. Special edition Evan Williams single barrel bottles were on hand to mark the occasion, which took place 71 days before the 149th running of the Kentucky Derby. This year's Pegasus pins are available in three color combos, pink and teal, orange and teal, and green and teal. You'll want to keep an eye out for the coveted gold pins, though, which give owners eligibility to win prizes. Pegasus pins will be available at most retailers beginning on March 6th. They'll be on sale for $7 each at stores and for $10 at events. This year's Kentucky Derby is set for May 6th at Churchill Downs. The next article is entitled, Zelensky Seeks More Sanctions. Ukraine reports dozens of new Russian strikes. EU slaps sanctions on top Russia officials and trade. This article is written by John Leicester of the Associated Press. The European Union agreed Saturday to impose new sanctions on Russia over its invasion of Ukraine, targeting more officials and organizations accused of supporting the war, spreading propaganda, or supplying drones, as well as restricting trade on products that could be used by the armed forces. The EU's Swedish presidency said the sanctions, quote, are directed at military and political decision-makers, companies supporting or working within the Russian military industry, and commanders in the Warner Group. Transactions with some of Russia's largest banks are also prohibited. Asset freezes were slapped on three more Russian banks and several Iranian, quote, entities, companies, agencies, political parties, or other organizations that manufacture military drones, which the EU suspects have been used by Russia during the war. The new measures, proposed by the EU's executive branch three weeks ago, were only adapted after much internal wrangling over their exact makeup and made public one day after the first anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the intended target date. Fighting is grinding on in the Ukraine after the country marked the anniversary of Russia's invasion, with Ukrainian authorities on Saturday reporting dozens of new Russian strikes and attacks on cities in the east and south. After a somber and defiant day of commemorations on Friday and a marathon news conference, Ukraine's seemingly indefatigable president followed up with new video posts a day later in which he declared that, quote, Russia must lose in Ukraine and argued that its forces can be defeated this year. In a separate tweet, President Vladimir Zelensky also pushed for more sanctions pressure on Russia after the U.K., U.S., and the European Union all announced new measures aimed at further choking off funding and support for Moscow. The pressure on Russian aggressor must increase, Zelensky tweeted in English. He said Ukraine wants to see, quote, decisive steps against Russian state nuclear corporation, Rosatom, and the Russian nuclear industry, as well as, quote, more pressure on military and banking. Russian President Vladimir Putin said last week that Rosatom and his defense ministry need to work on ensuring that Russia is ready to resume nuclear weapons tests if needs be. He alleged that the U.S. is working on nuclear weapons 
and that some in the U.S. are pondering plans to carry out nuclear tests banned under the global test ban that took effect after the end of the Cold War. If the U.S. conducts tests, we will also do it, Putin said. Russia has already become the most sanctioned nation in the world over the past year, targeted with sanctions by more than 30 countries representing more than half of the world's economy. But the squeeze on its economy, trade, and firms has yet to deliver a knockout blow. Russia's ambassador to Washington, Anatoly Atanov, called the latest U.S. sanctions, quote, thoughtless. We have learned to live under economic and political pressure, Antonov said. The experience of previous sanctions has shown that they harm the world market to a greater extent, worsen the situation of ordinary citizens in states that initiate or support reckless sanctions. The February 24th anniversary of last year's invasion brought no respite in Russian attacks. Still, in one of his video posts on Saturday, Zelensky asked, Is it possible for us to win? Yes, he said. We are capable of this in unity, resoutly and unyieldingly, to put an end to Russian aggression this year. Ukraine's military on Saturday reported 27 Russian airstrikes and 75 attacks from multiple rocket launches in the most recent 24-hour spell. It said Russian offensive efforts continue to be concentrated in Ukraine's industrial east and northeast. Five wounded civilians were reported in Ukraine's eastern Donetsk province, where territory is roughly split between Russian and Ukrainian control. This wraps it up for the reading of the news from today's edition of the Louisville Courier-Journal for Sunday, February 26, 2023. Your reader has been Bill Sally. Thank you for listening. And now, please stay tuned for continued programming here on Radio I.